0: Morning, everybody. There we go. Hey, there we go. All right. It's great to see you all this morning. Get all set up here. Um, well, this morning we're going to be continuing our sermon series, uh, Alive and Well, exploring what the Bible has to say about the core relationships in our lives. And over the past few weeks, we've learned a lot about singleness and marriage and parenting, and we've talked about having a healthy understanding of boundaries and the need to pay attention to our words uh, that we share with other people and the, and the condition of our hearts This week and next week, we're going to be talking about a relationship that just about everybody pursues and is ubiquitous all over the world and throughout history, and yet is also frequently overlooked or taken for granted. Nevertheless, it is one of the most valuable relationships we can have in this life, that of a really good friend. Before I go any further, I want to acknowledge a tension that comes up when talking about friendships. For some, this is a really hard or perhaps even hurtful topic. I know that many people here today will have friends that they've loved and that they've lost. I know that others are likely frustrated by the desire to have more friends or just even one really good friend, and yet for whatever reason, finding that friend does not come easily or naturally. If any of this describes where you're at, I want to be sure that you hear me say that I acknowledge your struggle and to some degree can can understand or empathize with it. I have lost friends to change and distance and death. And I have had low moments in my life where I needed a friend, but didn't have any around and wasn't sure how to just go out and and, and make another one. With all of this in mind, I still invite you to hear and consider the words of God concerning friendship this week and next week. The essence of friendship is connecting to someone at a heart level, and nobody knows our hearts better than God. So there is no one better to turn to to be heard or understood or comforted and to grow than to our God, who, by the way, very much wants to be our friend. Now, friendship is an odd biblical topic. It pops up uh, all over the place, but is rarely directly uh, or plainly labeled as such. To, be, to study biblical friendships, you often have to look at people in Scripture that clearly loved and care for each other, and yet no, have no official obligation to do so. Marriages are forged by a sacred covenant, binding two people together through promise. Families are bound by direct relation. Our relationship with God is one of grace, but also one to a certain degree of of obligation because there is no other God from whom we can worship or go to for salvation. Friendships, on the other hand, bring two people together that for whatever reason have decided to share their inner selves with one another. Friendships have a unique way of satisfying the longing we have for connection and companionship. God did not create us to journey through this life on our own. We need all kinds of relationships, including really good friendships. So this morning, we're going to take a look at one of the Bible's more unconventional yet beautiful and strong friendships, that of the one shared between two women named Ruth and Naomi. What I hope to help you see from this story is a few foundational characteristics for biblical friendships. If we want our friendships to be rich and full and to flourish, then we, need, then we will uh, want to try to pursue some of the things that we see uh, and some of the attributes of friendship that we see from this chat, the passage that we'll be looking at, Ruth chapter 1. The book of Ruth begins by telling us that the story which follows takes place in the days of the judges, so probably sometime around 1100 B.C., In the very first verse, we learn that due to a famine, an Israelite from Bethlehem decided to move his wife and his two sons 50 miles southeast to the country of Moab. Now, for any original Hebrew reader, warning bells would have immediately started sounding as soon as they heard this information. All sorts of things are terribly, terribly wrong here. According to God's laws in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, famine in the land was an indication of and punishment for disobedience among God's people. Furthermore, Israelites did not move out of the promised land, and if they moved around, they most certainly did not move into the country of one of their enemies like Moab. This is like watching a really bad suspense movie when the clearly disposable character decides to go search the basement on his or her own, and you're just sitting there on the couch going, don't go in there, don't go in there, don't go in there. Well, this whole family does unfortunately go in there, and tragedy tragedy quickly follows. In Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, we read, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man from Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives, one named Orpha and the other named Ruth. They lived there for about 10 years, and both Malon and Kilion died so that the woman was left with her two sons and her husband. When the story begins, it seems like we're going to be hearing about the, the story about the life of Elimelech. He's, he's the first person mentioned in the story. He's the first person to get a name, and all of the actions hang on his decisions. So, so we're learning about this life of this man until all of a sudden we're not, and and He dies. And then his sons die, and all of the focus falls on the desperate and lonely and broken-hearted Naomi. Her name actually means pleasant in Hebrew, but her life has turned out to be anything but that. She has lost so much, her homeland and her husband and her sons. And at a time and in this culture, it also means that she has lost a great deal of her financial security and her ability to draw in an income. In just a few verses, we'll also discover that Naomi is somewhat understandably experiencing a crisis of faith. All of this loss has shaken her confidence in God's love for her. So at this point of the story, Naomi has a lot to, to process, a lot to grieve, and a lot of needs to address. And maybe you've experienced a similar kind of situation. Life throws a lot at you all at once and leaves you feeling lost and alone. Our tendency in times like this is, is to push people away, and just focus on fixing on whatever's gone wrong. And in just a moment, we'll see that Naomi tries to do exactly that. But amidst the hardships and the challenges of life, the Bible actually counsels us not to rely on only what we can do, but instead also open ourselves up to being helped and even depending on the people in our lives that we regard as friends. Take a look at these verses. The first is from Ecclesiastes chapter 4, where it says, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls down and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. And then in Proverbs chapter 17, verse 17, it says, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. And and with Hebrew parallelism, that that idea of friend and brother are actually synonymous. So it's saying that a friend is as close to or is just like a brother. What the Bible teaches us and what we'll be seeing this morning from Naomi's story is that one of the most valuable relationships we can have in this life is that of a really good friend. Someone who will stick by you when you when you fall and will do whatever is within their power to help you back up. Someone who will stay by your side when you are overwhelmed and who will love you not just when it's convenient or easy, but also at all times, someone who chooses to be close to you and who you choose to be close with as well. We tend to treat friendships like an optional add-on relationship that just sort of happens after hanging out with somebody for long enough. Additionally, we tend to minimize our need to develop deeply meaningful and vulnerable friendships because of our culture's emphasis on individuality and autonomy. What I hope to make clear this morning is that the Bible actually teaches something quite different when it comes to the role and the and the importance of, re, of friendships in our lives. Again, one of the most valuable one of the most valuable relationships we can have in this life is that of a really good friend. So let's return to the text and see if Naomi has a friend that she can rely on during in the midst of all of this tragedy and trauma. In verse 6 it says, then she Naomi the lord grant that you may find rest in each each of you in the house of her husband and then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept so sometime after the death of her two sons naomi hears that israel is no longer plagued by a famine and she decides that it's time for her to return home At first, it appears that she plans to to take her daughters-in-law, Naomi and Orpha, along with her, but somewhere along the journey, Naomi has second thoughts, and she stops on the road to Judah and tells the two women that they should go back to their Moabite homes and to their own land. The command is not delivered out of spite or anger. It's really a tender moment of love and care. Naomi reflects warmly on her time with Ruth and Orpha and blesses them, thanking them for the way that they treated her and her deceased family members kindly. Now we're going to come back to this word kindly in just a moment because it's actually a translation of an incredibly significant Hebrew word that means so much more than just being good or polite or kind. The kindness these women shared with uh, the kindness that these women shared, especially that of Ruth, is truly part of what it means to find a biblical foundation for friendship. So Naomi bids these women farewell, but they are not ready to abandon their mother-in-law just yet. And in verse 10, it says, they, the daughters, said to her, no, we will return with you and go to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters, why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go on your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even then I should have a husband this night and, be- and-, and I should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they are grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me that for your sake the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. So Ruth and Orpha tell Naomi that, that they want to stay, they want to continue this journey with her and go to the land of Israel, but Naomi again tells them that they should stop and return home and go back to, to the places where they had come from. In verses 11 through 13, she makes this threefold argument uh, against their following her any further, and it reveals a lot about the state of Naomi's mind and the, and the condition of how hurt her heart is. She basically tells them, I have nothing left to give you, I am no longer useful to anybody else, and God himself is against me. All of this loss and all of this trauma that Naomi has experienced has caused her to lower her opinion of herself down to the level of, I'm not, if I'm not useful to you, you shouldn't bother having me around. Unfortunately, this is something that we do frequently within relationships and especially within our friendships. In his book, Sacred Companions, psychologist David Benner warns us that too often we assess a friendship's value primarily in terms of its usefulness for achieving material ends, friends as business contacts, or minimizing boredom and loneliness, friends, as people to kill time with. Benner goes on to say that according to the Bible, friendships are gifts from God. They aren't ordinary or transactional. They're divinely appointed relationships designed to bear such fruit as loyalty, tender devotion, and covenantal bonds. Now, I don't know about you, but I have definitely been guilty of both assuming my friends only want me around for as long as I am useful and treating others in such a way where they would be led to believe such a terrible thing about themselves as well. Neither are what God wants for our friendships. They are supposed to be so much more than just good connections or time wasters. Friendships are part of flourishing in this life. God doesn't expect us to celebrate or to endure things on our own. We, are, we will all likely have times where we feel like Naomi, and when we do, I hope and I pray that we have a friend around as devoted as Ruth. Let's take a look at how Ruth responds to Naomi when she's at her lowest and, and at her neediest here. In verse 16, it says, But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. Where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Where your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord, uh, may the Lord to me and more also, if anything but death, parts me from you. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. This is a beautiful snapshot of biblical friendship. At a difficult time in her life, when Naomi needed somebody to be there for her, Ruth stepped up and proved herself compassionate and loyal and a truly wonderful friend. And we all long for this sort of connection, this, this depth of commitment. It's why we write it into so many of our shows and, and movies and stories. This is like Aragorn and Legolas and Gimli running off into the wilderness to save Merry and Pippin in Lord of the Rings. Or it's like Robert Redford as the Sundance Kid jumping off a cliff with Paul Newman's Butch Cassidy, although admittedly those guys were criminals, so it's not the best model for friendship, but <laughs> you get it. The best friendships we admire and the best friendships that we, are, that, that, that we want and that we pursue are characterized by things like devotion and sacrifice. And I think that's exactly what we see going on between Naomi and Ruth, and I think it's exactly what God wants us to pursue in our own friendships as well. But how do we get to that point? What is it that led Ruth and Naomi to be able to share such an intense friendship with one another? I think there are at least three things in this story that we can, that we can look at to help us understand the relational foundations for biblical friendships. First, long before this moment of crisis, Ruth and Naomi had built their friendship on sharing a steadfast love for one another. Sharing a steadfast love for one another. If you were to go back and and again look at verse 8, it had said that, may the Lord, Naomi had said to Ruth, may the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. That word translated as kindly is the Hebrew word chesed, which is one of the most theologically significant words in all of Scripture. It appears 246 times throughout the Old Testament, sometimes to describe the relationship between two people, like Naomi and Ruth, and sometimes to describe the relationship between God and his people. Here is a list of things that the word hesed conveys. Love, mercy, grace, kindness, goodness, benevolence, loyalty, covenant faithfulness, or the common shorthand version, steadfast love. Old Testament scholar Francis Kimmet also noted that hesed is not self-seeking, and is not motivated by anything except desiring what is best for another person. Ruth was able to be such a great friend to Naomi because they had built their friendship on a steadfast, hesedish kind of love. One thing I want to be sure to point out is that we often think about significant expressions of deep love as as belonging solely to the realm of, of families or intimate marital relationships. And while you certainly want steadfast love to be part of your marriages and your families, the Bible actually teaches that faithfulness and sacrifice and strong love are to be part of our friendships as well. Take a moment to to think about some of your friendships, either either ones you have now or, or maybe ones that you've had in the past. Did you share a steadfast love for that person? Would you describe your friendship as being characterized by kindness and loyalty and faithfulness. When we raise the bar for friendships that high, chances are pretty good that the number of people that we feel that kind of connection with is going to diminish. And I think that's okay. And our culture, friends tend to be pretty broadly defined as as people you just enjoy hanging out with. And that's all right. And those relationships are important. But I want to challenge you to make sure that you've got a few people in your life whom you're willing to share a strong and steadfast love with. People you're intentionally seeking out to, to make deeper connections with and do more than just enjoy similar interests. The first foundation for biblical friendships is sharing a steadfast love for one another. The second foundation that we see in the story is a willingness to let each other know how you're really feeling. A willingness to let each other know how you're really feeling. Naomi, Orpha, and Ruth are extremely honest and forthright with each other. Naomi pours out her soul and lays bare her anguish and even comes clean about her frustration with God. In response, Orpha lets Ruth and Naomi know how far she's willing to go. And, and Orpha doesn't lie about her own needs, and she still loves Naomi, but she takes Naomi up on that offer to be able to return to her family. And, and really, that's okay. The, the, the scripture and the passage here really doesn't uh, say anything negative about Orpha. Just sometimes friends part ways, and sometimes that can be what's healthiest and best for everybody involved. Ruth, on the other hand, looks at Naomi and says, listen, I, I get that things are really hard right now, and I get that you feel like a hot mess, but I love you, and I'm not leaving you, and I will do whatever it takes to stand by you. Your friendships will be enriched by being real with one another and telling each other how you truly feel. That truth is all over the Bible. You can't learn to trust somebody if you never give them a chance to know or prove their steadfast love for you. If you want a really rich friendship, then you're going to have to be willing to open yourselves up and be a little vulnerable. When I was in seminary, I, I was in a scholarship group with nine other guys, and, uh, and when we first met, on um, the day that we first met and kind of throughout our first year, we were actually pretty suspicious of each other. Uh, we, we confessed this um, to each other uh, later on, but uh, during that first year, the, the scholarship was really competitive. It, it demanded a high level of academic excellence, and so we would kind of look around at each other and say, well, I'm supposed to be here, but who are you? And uh, we did not share a steadfast love. We shared steadfast skepticism. That all changed during our second year of school when we decided that it was time to get to know each other a little bit better. And since we were in Colorado, what better way to do that than to go camping? So we packed up and headed for the mountains and spent three days hiking and, and playing Frisbee and eating nothing but ground beef and bacon. And it was, it was just incredible. It was awesome. But the best part of the trip came late one night when we were sitting around a campfire and somebody suggested that we ought to spend some time just telling each other how we felt about one another, sharing some, some thoughts and, and, and some appreciation and praise of one another. So we started, and for several hours we were, went around the campfire plainly telling every single guy how much we respected and admired and loved one another. And we called it, and I'm not, I'm not kidding you, we called it Sugar Lumps, and we did it every year for the next three years. Because we were willing to let each other know how we're really feeling, how much we wanted to be friends, and how much we appreciated and respected one another, the steadfast love in our relationships increased exponentially. Those guys are still some of the best friends that I have ever had, and I would have missed out on those friendships had we never been willing to be real and raw and vulnerable with one another. Do your friends know that you care about them? That you respect them? Or perhaps that you are worried about them and that you want to be there for them during their time of need? Remember this. They can't know, not for sure, unless you tell them. They can't know what you're thinking or what you're feeling, and that your friendship cannot grow unless you're willing to open up. Friendships of steadfast love are not built on assumptions. You've got to have a willingness to let each other know how you're really feeling. You've got to be able to tell the people that you care about what's going on in your heart. Finally, biblical friendships are characterized by people doing their best to do what's best for another biblical friendships are characterized by doing people doing their best to do what's best for one another. Take another look at Naomi and Ruth's story and and the reasons Naomi gives Ruth why, why she should leave in verses 8 through 15. Naomi is an old woman at this point and would have doubtless been obviously beyond the age of childbearing and likely been beyond the age of remarriage. And so the argument that she makes to Ruth doesn't actually make a whole lot of sense. It doesn't seem very likely that Ruth was traveling with Naomi with the secret hope that Naomi would be able to find a husband and get pregnant again and then in 15 to 20 years be able to, to bear and raise another son that the then-aged Ruth would be able to marry. And so, as we, and as we noted earlier, Naomi was really having a, a struggle with her faith. She was having a crisis of faith at this time as well. So she, she shares all that with Ruth, but look at Ruth's response. At this point, Naomi has said a bunch of things that just aren't true. And, and, and really shown how much she's struggling, but Ruth senses that what Naomi needs right now is not to be corrected, but supported and loved. What's best for her friend at this point is to let her know that she's not alone. She even goes as far, Ruth even goes as far as to express confidence in God, even when Naomi can't muster that same kind of faith. And don't miss that point, because as Christians, we know that what's best for all people, our friends, our family, our loved ones, even our neighbors and strangers, is a continued, renewed, or brand new relationship with God. And so Ruth doesn't shame Naomi for her struggles and her doubts, but she also doesn't leave them uncontested or unnoticed. She lets Naomi experience her pain to process her grief, and then she offers her own shoulder and her own faith for Naomi to lean on. Really good friends seek to do what's best for one another, even if that means patiently waiting for the right time to bring up something that's wrong. There are certainly times where our friends need to be confronted with the things that they're doing wrong and be called out. We see that in the New Testament between Peter and Paul. When when Paul has to go to Peter and say, hey, you have to accept the Gentiles into the church, Peter's having a hard time wrapping his mind around the fact that Gentiles can now be a part of God's plan. And Paul goes to him and says, this is what God's doing and we need to move forward and accept these people. Whether it's patience or prudent action, the key to doing what's best for your friend is determining how to act based on their needs and what you can rightfully and reasonably take on with them. Remember, friendships are not self-seeking. They certainly have limits and they have boundaries. And Pastor Steve talked about boundaries last week. So if you need a refresher on on what those are like, go back and, and check out last week's sermon. But those boundaries are established by the extent that you are prepared and that you are called by God to serve not by the extent of your selfishness. We won't read the rest of Ruth and Naomi's story today, but if you take a look at it this week, you'll see that their friendship continued to give them strength and even led them to a happy ending. Ruth supported Naomi as she processed through her grief, and then Naomi helped Ruth adjust to her new home and her new culture and even ended up setting up Ruth with the man that would one day become her husband, Boaz. The book of Ruth ends with Naomi and Ruth and Boaz enjoying their new life and their new friendships together. Biblical friendships are characterized by sharing a steadfast love for one another, a willingness to let each other know how you're really feeling, and people doing their best to do what's best for one another. Now, if you're feeling a little overwhelmed, that's okay. The biblical standards for friendship are probably a lot loftier than our own, but there is good news. You don't have to do any of this perfectly to have great friendships. In fact, there is a pretty good chance that you will occasionally let your friends down and that they will occasionally let you down too. To address that, we should take a quick look at another passage of Scripture. See, Ruth and Boaz eventually had a son who went on to have a son and so on and so forth. And then centuries later, Ruth's great, 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 and probably a whole lot more great grandson gathered together 12 of his closest friends and shared with him and shared this this with them. And just a real quick note, the passage in your in your outline is wrong. It says Luke it should be John. So this is John 15. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all, that I have, for all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. These things I command you, that you love one another. Jesus himself sought out and built friendships. Friendships. He shared steadfast love with his disciples. He was definitely willing to let them know how he was feeling. And of course, he did what was best for them and for you and me in laying down his life on the cross for you and me, his friends. But here's the really amazing grace-filled thing. Jesus offered this friendship to a group of people he knew could not perfectly reciprocate the love and the loyalty he was willing to share. He was friends with Judas who would betray him. Peter, who would abandon him. James and John, who had asked to sit at his right hand, but then were nowhere to be found when that hand was nailed to a cross. These are imperfect and sinful people that Jesus calls friends. And you know what his plan was to maintain those relationships? To forgive them, even, as they, even after they had failed to be there when he needed them most. And so I guess the fourth foundation of biblical friendship would be friends love and forgive each other. They love and share and try to do what's best for one another, and they work on forgiveness when the first three fall apart. So I have a challenge for you this week. Find one of your friends. It could be someone that you've known for a long time. Uh, It could be someone who's far away and you'll have to pick up a phone. It could be a spouse or maybe someone you've just recently started to get to know. But, But find one of your friends and let them know that you love them. Let them know why you love them. Let them know that you will do your best to do what's best for them whenever you can. And if necessary, forgive them or seek out their forgiveness if if there's something has gone wrong in your relationship that needs repairing. Find a friend and let them know that you love them. Let them know that why you love them. Let them know that you're going to do your best to do what's best for them. And if necessary, forgive them or seek out forgiveness in order to repair your relationship, your friendship. Remember, one of the most valuable relationships we can have in this life is that of a really good friend. As we turn to the Lord's table in a time of communion now, I, I want to invite you to actually do the same thing that you'll hopefully be able to do this week with one of your friends. Uh, do that same thing with, with Jesus. As the, as the bread is passed and the cup is passed, take some time in prayer and tell Jesus that you love him. Tell Jesus why you love him. Tell Jesus that you'll do your best to to do the best that he has taught you to do. And tell Jesus that you are thankful for the forgiveness that he's willing to give and indeed has already given you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends, and Jesus has laid down his life for you and for me. At faith, we invite anyone who has confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior to join us in celebrating communion. We will first pass the bread and ask that everyone wait uh, for the bread to go around the room, and then we will eat together. We will then pass the cup, and again, waiting until everyone has one of the cups, and then we will drink together. Would the servers please come forward at this time, and would you all enjoy, uh, please uh, join me in prayer? Thank you for being our friend, Jesus. Thank you for proving your friendship in the way that you love us and teach us, in the way that you died for us, and the way that you now live for us. Lead us to follow your example of friendship. Lead us to love others and build meaningful relationships and help us forgive as you have forgiven us. Lord Jesus, please speak to our hearts during this time. Convict us where we need conviction. Comfort us where we need to be comforted. We give this time to you, Lord, and praise your name for for what this, this communion, this supper represents. In Jesus' name, amen.